Well, good morning, everyone. If I could uh, gather your attention back again. Thank you very much. And Happy New Year to you all. We're a week into 2024 already, but uh, it, it's good to be back together, isn't it? I, I enjoy normal, if you know what I mean. I mean, I enjoy the rest, but I enjoy being back to, back to normal. Now, um, yesterday and today, this weekend, is in the church calendar is the Feast of Epiphany. Is that right, David? <laughs> the Feast of Epiphany is when uh, it marks the coming of the Magi, the wise men bringing their gifts to, to, to Jesus, the newborn king. And you know what? It says this in Matthew chapter 2. It says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. These men from the east fixed their eyes literally on Jesus. And their response was an amazing one before a newborn baby. They bowed down and worshipped him. You worship God. You don't worship a baby. You don't worship people. You worship God. It's the right response when we fix our eyes upon Jesus to bow down and worship him. Amen? All of our worship this morning, the theme has been about looking up to heaven, fixing our eyes on Jesus, Quite right, quite right. That's what I wanted to, to say, basically, this morning. That that should be, I feel, that should be our goal, each one of us, every year of our lives. But make it a goal this year, for, at the start of it, to fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Fix your eyes on him. It's all about Jesus. And once we look away from Jesus to, to, to other stuff, however good it is, then, then we go astray. We keep our gaze upon Jesus, just like these wise men did. Fix their eyes upon King Jesus. Bow down, acknowledge our nothingness in front of his greatness, our dependency in, in, in front of his provision, our sin in front of his salvation. And we fix our eyes upon him, we bow down and we worship him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength because he is worthy of it all. So may I suggest to you that just like the Apostle Paul I'll just find the verse. Just like the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Philippians about what his goal was, it was this. 
I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. I mean, here's a man who's had an even greater revelation of Jesus than the Magi had. And he's saying, I want to know Christ. He knew him. I want to know and grow in my knowledge of Christ. Do you want that this year? Hands up if you want that, to know Christ more and better and closer and deeper. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Amen. Right, now to what I was going to say. <laughs> like Theo uh, said at the beginning of the meeting, um, we're beginning a series um, today. Today is just an introduction. I can say what I like. But today is an introduction to the series, which will begin next week. Um, farewell, my friends. Lessons from the Upper Room, when we'll be looking at John's Gospel, chapters 13 through to 17. Why not read them in advance? Or at least read chapter 13 before next Sunday, because that's where we'll go to next week. But read them all. This... Um, this whole discourse, this, these chapters, are, are unique to John's Gospel. John's Gospel is very different to the other three Gospels. You'll know that if you've, if you've read them all before. It's interesting that um, in John's Gospel you have long conversations that Jesus have, has with uh, various people, even arguments. But long conversations he has when he's sharing with his disciples, which is what this is all about. The upper room, the last supper, his last words to his friends before he knows he's going to have to leave them. So it's also last words of farewell and struggle and sadness and, and yet hope and passion and vision for the future. It's, it's all of this and more besides. But he's talking to his friends, to those who already know him. Those who've lived with him for several years, day and night. Seen him in private as well as in public. Heard his words, seen his acts, witnessed his character. They knew him. They loved him. And he loved them. At least they should have known him, shouldn't they? Now, you may not have a name that appears in Scripture, but I do. Philip. And so when it comes up, it kind of grabs my attention a bit more than other verses. And in John chapter 14, one of these chapters we will be looking at, Jesus says this. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time. Don't you know me, Philip? 
he should have known him. And he did know him at one level. But Jesus is asking, don't, don't you really know? Don't you really know yet who I am? And, and, and Philip was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus said immediately, he said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Don't you really know me yet, Philip? I've been with you such a long time. Peter had got it already. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, he declared. Philip was on the way to getting it. And Judas missed it completely. Three men who saw the same things, witnessed the same events, spent time with Jesus personally, and yet they didn't all know him in the same way. Jesus didn't... Jesus didn't sit the disciples down and say, okay, guys, let me just tell you where it's at. You've got to understand straight up that I am God. He didn't do it like that. He didn't do it like that. They came to that conclusion and revelation gradually and eventually. But it's not how Jesus did it. He didn't give them a doctrine about his identity. He gave them an experience of his identity. And so they witnessed his words, the claims he made, I and the Father are one. They heard the words from heaven that the Father spoke over this Jesus. This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. They heard this. They saw his outward physical miracles. He stilled instantly the storm on the lake, and their question was, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And, and you can hear behind that the question, is he a man at all? His power over nature, even. They witnessed his inward spiritual things as well as the outward miraculous things that he claimed to have the right and authority to forgive people their sins. They saw the miracles. They witnessed Lazarus coming back from the dead. They were given an experience of Jesus as God in their midst in the flesh. These were men who were staunchly monotheistic Jews. Those who believe firmly and furiously that there is only one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And they would rather have died than believe in more than one God. And so Jesus is changing their mindset, not to the fact that there's more than one God, but that this God that they already believe in is a bit more complicated than they thought. Because the Father speaks from heaven, the Son is in the waters of the River Jordan, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him at the same time. And so this 
experience of what we call the Trinity. He didn't sit them down and say, let me explain it to you. He began to nudge them into an understanding, a revelation of his true identity. Don't you know me, Philip, who I really am, even after I have been among you such a long time? Now, I say all of this because of John himself. This John, who recorded the words that we will read over the next few weeks, this John was one of those 12. He was not just a disciple. He was the disciple described as the one whom Jesus loved. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't love the others. <laughs> it means that there was a special connection, an even more intimate relationship of friend, deep friendship and powerful love. John experienced Jesus' love personally. John witnessed his life, like I said, his words, his miracles. John was one of the three who was called up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John. When Jesus was revealed in his glory. And the description is remarkable that this same Jesus, flesh and blood Jesus, was then his face shining like the sun in all its strength. His glory was, was, was revealed to them. John witnessed this personally. He was there. He witnessed Jesus' suffering and of course, he witnessed his death and then his resurrection. Now, in the other Gospels, there's lots of accounts of miracles. In John's Gospel, there aren't as many. And even the ones that there are, are like unique. You know, there's, there's the turning of the water into wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. There's the raising of Lazarus from the dead. There's the blind man being from birth, the man blind from birth being healed. They're only in John's gospel. But most of John's gospel is words. And you know what? There's a time for words and there's a time for action. And both are needed. Sometimes we neglect and pass over a significant uh, description at the beginning, in the beginning verses of Acts chapter 1, where it says that after Jesus' resurrection, but before his ascension into heaven, going back to the Father, in between those two things, his resurrection and ascension, there were 40 days. And during those 40 days, Jesus appeared many times to his disciples for two reasons. We're told this in Acts chapter 1. To give them convincing proofs that he was alive again. And to talk to them about the kingdom of God. Now those words aren't recorded for us in scripture. I wish I had a recording of them. That must have been the most amazing seminar on the kingdom of God, for example, that anyone would ever hear. But maybe the pages of the New Testament are something of what Jesus had spoken to them about. That it came out of those words. 
as well as the Holy Spirit reminding the disciples of what Jesus had already said to them, from which the Gospels themselves emerge. But you see, they needed to be prepared. And they needed to be prepared by these two things. That they needed to be incontrovertibly convinced that Jesus was actually physically powerfully and in reality raised from the dead because they would face the challenge of preaching that message and speaking it to others and if there was a doubt in their mind or like did we imagine that was it just wishful thinking was it just someone who looked a bit like Jesus if it wasn't an absolutely clear convincing proof to them then maybe they would have shaken but none of them fell away they were absolutely convinced. So they had that. That was part of his reason. I will, I will show you. I will come back to you as I promised. The world won't see me, but you will see me again. And they did. But he spoke to them as well about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. That this is your mission. It's bigger than your little local idea. It's bigger than the Jewish idea. It's about the kingdom of God. The rule and reign of God that begins now but does not get completed and fulfilled until this same Jesus returns to planet earth and the kingdom of God is manifest in all its glory when sin is banished. They were driven by this mission. And if you read the book of Acts carefully, you will see that there are twin themes throughout mentioned from time to time. That as they preached and spoke and ministered, they spoke on the twin themes of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. The kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. That should be the same message that we still have that twin thing. Because if it's just the kingdom of God, then it becomes very easily principles alone. And if it's just the name of Jesus, it can be a bit airy-fairy, to be honest, a bit loose. But put those two together, that this king, this kingdom, has a king, King Jesus, ruling now and returning to rule completely later. So John witnessed all of these things, heard these words, was prepared. And it's now later, after all of this, later on, he writes down his memoirs, his words in the gospel. By this time, he and the other disciples have been filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And one of the things that Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come to them and help them with He's, he said, he will bring back to mind all that I have told you. That was part of his, his, his power in their lives. It wasn't the only thing, but it was part of it. And so John is reflecting on the words of Jesus as he's recalling them. And now he's, oh, he's understanding it. The penny has dropped and he's getting it. Oh, that is what Jesus meant. That is who Jesus was completely. That's why he did that. It's a wonderful, wonderful 
thing. Now, by way of introduction today, we're not going to look at any of the chapters 13 to 17. We're just going to quickly look at some of the verses from the very first chapter of John. How does John himself introduce his gospel? So we're going to read this. Uh, these are, these are um, sections of chapter 1. As you can see, the references are at the bottom. I've only left out a few verses because those verses I've left out on the screen are to do with references to John the Baptist. It's all, all, all relevant, but particularly um, these are relevant to us. So let's just consider the Word of God here from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Amen. There was a, a little girl once in a Sunday school class, and she was doing, uh, drawing a picture and the Sunday school teacher came and looked over her shoulder down at the picture and said, Oh, what is it you're drawing exactly? And the little girl looked up and said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the, uh, the Sunday school teacher thought for a moment and she, then she said, Well, actually, nobody knows what God looks like. And the little girl said, Oh, that's okay. They will when I've finished. Drawing a picture of God. What is God like? God is like Jesus. Look what John says at the end. No one has ever seen God. But Jesus, the one and only Son, has made him known. Jesus has made God known. Look at this amazing revelation to John, this staunchly monotheistic Jewish man, that this Jesus, his name is not mentioned there, but it's all about Jesus. This Jesus is the Word. What's that all about? The Greek word logos. See, John chose his language very carefully. To the Greek listeners... 
The word logos would, would, would mean the forces, meant at the time, the forces that sustain the universe. To Jewish ears and listeners, to be called the Word would be a reminder that God created the world through His Word. Look at the language. What's it a reminder of? In the beginning was God. It's, it's just like Genesis 1. And this word, Logos, Jesus, was with God and was, was, and was God. With God and was God. Amazing revelation for a monotheistic Jew. God here described as one who has no beginning. He is eternal. This is a definition of what the theologians call the eternal pre-existence of Jesus, that he was eternally pre-existent. It wasn't just that he was from before, before Abraham was, I am, Jesus said. It wasn't just that he was before Abraham. It, he was with God in the beginning when there was no beginning. He's eternally pre-existent. God has no beginning. He is eternal. He dwells outside space and time, but he is able to and does relate directly and personally with us who do dwell inside space and time. This is the sort of God that Jesus has made known to us. The one who has no beginning, but knows and loves each one of us directly and personally. And Jesus shows that to us. This is why we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. This is why it's imperative that we always, always return to him. Because otherwise we'll be like the little girl in the Sunday school class and we will draw a picture of God in our thinking and mentality that's of our own invention. And it'll be driven by either our fears about what God is like or our hopes about what we hope he's really like. Instead of knowing for sure, well, how do we know? Are we making it up as we go along? The same John wrote the letters called John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, at the end of the New Testament. And at the beginning of his first letter, listen to this language. It's very reminiscent of the words here. It's the same author. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. Hallelujah. Now, I'd love to go through every nuance of each verse here, but time doesn't allow that this morning. But let me just point out, in that middle paragraph there, or at the end of the first one, 
There's the reality of the darkness as well as the light. Jesus came into the world as the true light. The darkness is real, but the light is stronger. And the darkness has not and will never overcome it. There's a strong claim made here beginning of the second paragraph, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The coming of Jesus as Messiah, as God in the flesh to this world, has brought a degree of light to every single person in the world. That does not mean that it has led to their complete understanding or acceptance of him or salvation. But although we readily recognize that this world is full of darkness still, yet the darkness is less than it would be if Jesus had not come. He is the light that has brought light to everyone in the world. There is an enlightenment that has come and that it is possible to grow in if we seek after him. And the way we do it is by receiving and Jesus and believing in him. His own people, we read, did not receive him. They did not believe in him. But to those who did, look at it again there. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That is still the challenge and opportunity today to all mankind that we have the opportunity, we have the invitation, we have the command to receive Jesus and believe in his name. And when we do, when we receive Jesus, Lord Jesus, come, you are Messiah, you are God in the flesh, I receive you as my Lord, I need you in my life, I bow the knee to you, come and bring your kingdom in my life, rule in me. Forgive me for my selfish, willful independence. I turn away from that. Lord, I receive you. When we do that, he gives us the right to become children of God. <laughs> and John, the same John in his letter says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And so if you've not received Jesus at the beginning of this year, 2024, today even, come and bow the knee like the, ma the Magi, the wise men. Come and fix your eyes on Jesus. Bow the knee before him and say, I need you. I cannot do life on my own. And even if I could, I don't want to anymore. If you've never done that, receive Jesus, do it, I beg you. And if you have done that, then allow God to, to, to give you this revelation that you are not a distant, tolerated slave. You are a dearly beloved child of God, adopted, adopted into his family and secure for eternity. Hallelujah. Everything else, Paul wrote, 
everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Let's stand together, shall we? Can the worship team come back? And we're going to sing a, a song that expresses a wonderful truth about this Jesus. It starts off with reference to John chapter 1. You were the Word in the beginning. <laughs> That's what we've just read. In the beginning was the Word. And then it talks about the beautiful, powerful, wonderful name of Jesus. And the promise is this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on Jesus for your salvation. Call on Jesus for your help. Call on Jesus for your revelation, for your provision, for your health, for your life, for your future, for this year. Call on Jesus and you will be saved. Hallelujah. Let's sing this with worship uh, in our hearts. Amen.